Happy fucking New Year, drinking buddies. It's 2018. We've survived. It's amazing. Before we get into it this week, just a quick word from our sponsors, the people that make this shit happen. This week we are brought to you by the fine folks at Laughable. Laughable is the number one comedy podcast app on iOS. Not only can you subscribe to your favorite show, your favorite artist, you get recommendations, you can buy tickets to comedy shows in-app. For our listeners that use Android, um, no, I know, I keep promising, it's coming soon. So go to www.laughable.com, get on the waiting list if you're an Android user. If you're an iOS user, go to the App Store, search Laughable, download it today. It's what I listen to fucking podcasts on, it's fucking amazing. Our guest this week is comedian Richard Hunter. Richard is the co-host of Phone Booth Fighting with Frank Mir. It's an MMA podcast. He's a real interesting dude. Just, you know, a little warning. We do get a bit political this week about gun control and shit like that. But we also talk about where we were, the night Don Bagdarrell died, Frank's upcoming fights, and a whole bunch of shit. So, this is one of the more sober shows ever done since we were drinking coffee. Unbeknownst to Richard, I may have had a few before showing up to do the show. Also, guys, do us a huge solid. If you listen on iTunes, even if you don't listen on iTunes, if you have an iTunes account, go to iTunes, rate us five stars, help get us up in the charts. Higher we are in the charts, better the guests we can get, bigger the show gets, more drinking buddies. That's what we all want. So, thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. YouTube is a bunch of bastards. That's right. Impeding our free speech. Richard, how you been? Good, man. Are we rolling? Are we happening? Okay. We are rolling. Thanks for having me on And Now We Drink. I hope uh, the definition of the title is broad-based because I'm just uh, enjoying a, a, a grande drip coffee here. Is that okay? It's more than fine. You're not our first teetotaler. Oh, yeah. is that right? We okay. had Sparks on not too long ago. Oh, yes. You know what? I, you know what? I'm so glad you brought that up because I saw that. I was excited to see you had Hal on, and I wanted to mention that next time I, I saw you. You know, Hal and I are are really, really true great lifelong friends and we met many years ago through my radio show and uh it's we have a lot of things in common like that uh from you know politics to love of music to uh we were born one week apart uh to both of our uh, favorite members of kiss is uh paul stanley so very yeah. cool doesn't get any closer than that no no not, not at all <laughs> I thought I was kind of close to them. We went to rival high schools. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Wait, now you went to, so, oh, from Chicago, yeah. right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you guys. Yeah, he went to the rival high school, my high school. His high school is actually in our fight song, like, Beat New Trier is in our fight. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did not know that. Well, I'm glad to see the two of you guys could uh, overlook your differences and uh, build a bridge. Uh, so, so I wanted to ask you, though, um, this is your podcast, and I'm interviewing you. I promise I won't do this the whole show. But um, you did. You guys met up out at uh, like a pod fest or yeah, something, the LA right? Pod fest. 
Was that what is that like? I've thought about doing that before. Is it cool? I enjoy it. Um, this is my second year going. It's great. A lot of live performances. Mm-hmm. Um, they give an opportunity for the smaller shows to set up and record there too. Okay, I like that. Is there a lot of uh, is there a lot of talk of RSS feeds and and unique downloads and stuff like that? <laughs> there is um, some of the technology, you know, seminars too. Great. Like one of the guys from uh, Libsyn went over like how to improve your sound, shit like that. Okay. I, I need I need one of the guys from Libsyn to explain to me what's happening with their. Do you do you, do you use Libsyn? I do, and I actually did have them explain what the hell happened with my numbers. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if you want to bore your listeners with that, but at the very least, explain it to me when we get off the air because. That uh, boy, you know, people think podcasting is glamorous, Matt. You know, they 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 see the you know the social media pictures of us, you know, uh, womanizing and carousing out all hours of the night in the club, as the kids say. But they don't realize that behind the scenes, it's it's nothing but fretting over RSS feeds. Oh yeah, no, I, I watch my numbers take a horrible backslide when they made those patches. I'm like, what the hell's happening here? <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what's good? No. Yes. No. We're doing so good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, do your listeners know your your uh, uh, correlation to my Phone Booth Fighting podcast with I Frank Mir? Definitely plug the hell out of it. Okay. I, I appreciate that. Well, you've been, you've been a guest. Already. It has been. Time flies. You came out to uh, the Orpheum Theater for one of uh, Eddie Bravo's uh, jiu-jitsu tournaments. We were broadcasting live out there for EBI, and you sat in on the show with us. You very kindly contributed to our Fund Anything campaign, and which was, you know, that was great as far as raising money to help support the show, but it was also nice because we made some good friends like yourself along the way. Definitely. You know, we hung out at AVN a little bit. We did. Now, are you, hey, are you up for some sort of award? I actually am. Okay. Did I read this correctly that it's like a non-acting, well, I'm you were for, an acting, yeah, I was non-sex in, role? Up for best non-sex performance this year. Okay. And you played a rabbi or something? Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Now, I, I'm sure my listeners are sick of hearing about it because everyone's been bringing it Well, up. just imagine if you win. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, this is just for getting nominated. Well, congratulations on that. I, I have not seen your cinematic debut. What's the title? What should I look for? Jews Love Black Cock. Right. Okay. <laughs> so the plot of the movie is my daughters, I hire a matchmaker to set all my daughters up yes. with nice Jewish boys. Sure. Turns out. J-date. Yeah. Okay. Turns out they're all whores and they all love black cock. Right. Okay. Now who are your, who plays your Jewish daughters? Jennifer White, Rizzo okay. Ford. Uh, Rizzo Tor- Ford. She was in Greece. <laughs> no? No. Okay. Though her name does come from that, but. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jennifer White. Boy, Jennifer White. There, I, there is a nod to a traditional approach to your porn pro- persona. I don't know who that is, but let me just compliment her on naming herself something that's plausible. Right, just something that could pass by sure. every day. Like, oh, hey, it's Jennifer White. No big deal. So you had your, your, your Jewish daughters were Jennifer White, Rizzo Ford. Taurus Angel, Abella Danger. And I'm probably spacing on... I mean, you had a big family. Oh. A big the, Jewish, the, slutty family. The joke is I have 23 daughters or something like that. Oh, wow. So okay. they're making sequels. Yeah. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so so you did that, and then it backfired on you. Yeah. Because okay. all my daughters are whores. Right. Okay. Well, now now I've got to now I've got to see it. And I know it's out of theaters at this point, so I'll probably just have to go on. Uh, when we get uh, off air, I'll show you the trailer. Amazon. Oh yes, great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 
But now, what company did that? Burning Angel. Oh, Joanna Angel's company. Yeah, Joanna, Joanna of course, stars in it as the Jewish matchmaker. I know Joanna. And she used to do my radio show all the time. I would you. Uh, uh, I can actually uh, uh, through a couple of degrees of separation here. I think tell you a Joanna Angel story that that pertains to both your content and mine. Awesome. So um, Joanna was in an MMA match. No, no. But she did box at Ellis Mania. Oh, she did do that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yep. she fought Nikki Hearts this year. No, I. Um, she used to come to my L.A. house party every year. I would, I would, uh, I would rent. I'd either rent like a hotel suite or I'd do it at someone's house out there. And once a year, I would have this broadcast where all the, you know, the actors and musicians and porn people and athletes, whoever that that were regular associates of my radio show, would come out and uh, we would set up just like you and I are sitting around. By the way, welcome to my hood here. Uh, and this isn't far from my old place. Oh yeah, yeah. Here in uh, Summerlin, uh, my house is just down the street. But um, we would sit around like this, have four or five mics on the table, and it was like a cocktail party wired for sound. And we would just record the conversations, whatever happened. And so Joanna, I remember one year in particular, did a panel with uh, myself and uh, Tommy Chong and Jose Canseco. That was the table. Wow, and, that, that's that's an interesting mix. Yeah, and uh, I, I something interesting came up though because we were talking about uh, Lenny Bruce because uh, I, I have a real reverence for Lenny Bruce and and anytime I make a Jewish friend I I drop his name, and so I was talking about this old Lenny Bruce bit that he used to do about how his mother worried that because he had a tattoo he could not be buried in a Jewish cemetery, and I told Joanna I said I think you're in big trouble. And so about six months later, her grandma died or something, but she was at a Jewish cemetery, and she had the presence of mind to ask the grave digger if that was going to be an issue, and he said, uh, nah, we don't care. Yeah, they'll just take your money. Yeah. So she, she, I think she texted me and let me know that everything was okay. Her, her m- mortal soul was, was, was not in jeopardy. See, for me, my, I've always been like, I'll be dead. Won't care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm excited. I hope you win that thing. And uh, I'm going to throw the phone booth fighting uh, listener support behind you. Well, if you're putting up, do, is there voting closed? Is there going to be voting? It's not a fan voted award. It's oh, it's not. done by the Academy. The critics. Yeah, the critics. Well, by a panel of AVN insiders. Okay. All right. Well, I would say that I would uh, make a round of calls to influence the the pornographic luminaries that i know but they're they're probably all in their late 60s by now Uh, i'm sure some of them are still performing probably they probably are speaking of uh your buddies buddy ron got in a lot of trouble what is going on with that i don't really know the the whole inside story of this here here's what you, you you fill me in but here's here's what you're talking about ron jeremy and what i know is that um the Ron is always dogged by these allegations of, you know, he got a little handsy with me kind of stuff. And uh, which Ron is a guy, and I, I'm not speaking out of school because if he were here, I, I think he would readily admit to this. He's a guy who will beg you to have sex with him until, fi- I mean, that's, I held out forever. And then finally, I was just like, look, if you'll shut up, okay, was once, it one time. Was it everything that was promised? Like- 
uh, well, that that was part of the problem is there were no promises made. Oh, uh, see, that's I even, fucked yeah, up. Yeah, I didn't even get a phone call the next day. Well, what? So you fill me in. I, I may not even know any of this story. So a bunch of performers have come out and accused Ron of being handsy mm-hmm. on set, conventions, and in the current climate of entertainment. Right. It's been a big no-no. And from what I've been told, Ron admitted to as much in Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah, yeah, because there's a Rolling Stone article coming out. Now, this is not, this isn't rising to, like, James Dean levels, is it? Well. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, because, again, I'm on the outside, but that that was, like, kind of assault allegation type well, stuff, right? it was a right? flat-out rape allegation. That's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. So, 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 does it, is it like that? In, in the current climate, it's almost worse because with all the mainstream Me Too and mm-hmm. the everyone being empowered, people are making much bigger of a deal about it than they would have a year ago. Yeah. And Ron, I mean, what Ron did isn't right, and he admitted to it, but he's getting a lot of backlash from it. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'll I'll be interested to see that article. I haven't I haven't talked to him in a while, so I haven't heard anything about that. What What do you think? I'll I'll ask you a question then. Um, what do you think would have to? Because the first thing that comes to my mind in terms of of okay, there's going to be uh, you know it's a new day, and you know we're we're conscientious of things we weren't conscientious of before, and all that. If you're going to try to correct that that climate in porn world then what you're going to have to do the first thing that comes to my mind is you're going to have to have cameras rolling all the time and don't have people together outside the the view of the set it's still just a really weird dynamic because even when cameras rolling you'll have male talent you know Stroking themselves to keep themselves erect in between scenes. Right. That's actually uh, uniquely part of the job description. You can't make that claim in a lot of offices, but there. People just get naked in between scenes. Yeah. These are just part of the job. Right. Performers are going to have to be mindful of other performers' boundaries. Yeah. Well, but to me, I thought there always was that. I thought there was a... The uh, you know my my hard no list and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there definitely is. It's just one of those things that porn is porn, and you can't change the fact that male talent has to keep themselves erect. People have to get naked. Yeah. But on the flip side, you know, when someone says no, it very much has to be respected. Right. And they're going to have to, you know, unfortunately drive some people out who can't maintain those boundaries. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, maybe there's a whole side of that that I haven't witnessed, but I'll tell you, I mean, my, my limited exposure to it has always been that, that it's, it's been the opposite of like, um, recreationally carnal that it's actually just kind of mechanical. Oh, definitely. You know, and 99 out of a hundred performers are respectful on set Mm -hmm. are, you know, do their jobs. There's no complaints about them. Everyone's happy to be at work. Yeah. Just the one bad egg. How'd you get involved in that world? I don't even know if I asked you that question when you sat in on our podcast. I, I don't think you did either. Mm-hmm. Uh, my listeners have definitely heard this story a bunch of times. Uh-huh. But the the quick and dirty of it is, back in 2009, 2010, Chicago had seven Burning Angel girls living there. 
Oh, yeah. And there used to be a Burning Angel night at a, par- at a bar I mm-hmm. regularly went to. Partied with them. Through them, I just met more people. And eventually, I became friends with Tegan Presley and her husband, who were living out here in Vegas. Oh, uh-huh. And her husband's like, I'm opening a studio. You should move out to Vegas. I said, fuck it. Why not? Oh, wow. Yeah. So you actually relocated from Chicago to here for that. This must have been right about the time that a lot of it was moving to Vegas anyway, right? Uh, it was before a lot of it moved to Vegas, actually. Oh, okay. Actually. I moved here in 2011. Mm-hmm. And then studio didn't open. Thankfully, I kept a day job from Chicago. I just transferred out here. Mm. By the way, what were you going to do? More more non-sex uh, produ- roles? Actually, more production Oh, stuff. production. Okay. <laughs> I never had any desire to be in front of camera. Yeah. Yeah. I've 100% never had any desire to be male talent. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm equipped to do that job. Mm-hmm. The idea of some sweaty man hanging over me while I have sex with 12 of my friends watching doesn't yeah. really appeal. Yeah. Plus, I like choosing who I have sex with. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I make really bad choices, but mm-hmm. I choose. That's right. The choices are yours. Yeah. Now, so you, okay, so, so you moved out here, studio didn't open, but, but you I, maintained your I maintained. Contacts. I also did a lot of security work for a bunch of girls. I'd go on the road with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. For strip club features, stuff like that. Oh, okay. Is there, there's not too much of that these days, right? Oh, no, there's plenty of girls still making... Oh, there is? Yeah, just traveling around the country doing features. Okay, dances. I wasn't sure if if uh, there was still a lot of call for the strip club feature. I mean, you see it here in Vegas, but it's Vegas, so uh, I, no, I don't... No, small markets. Oh, okay. my God, the money yeah. in small markets. Like, uh, Toby's in North Carolina. It's in... I forgot the name of the town, but it's... Like on the coast, yeah. and all there is is marine bases. You know what? That it is the same with uh, Frank's uh, jiu-jitsu seminars. The 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 biggest crowds that he gets are in the smaller markets where you know you 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 can throw a rock without hitting a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the girls do really well there. Yeah. And I imagine Frank does too. I mean, I'm hoping his students aren't stuffing dollar bills in his trunks, but. No. Yeah, well, you know it's. Tomato, tomato. So, uh, okay, cool. So, so the, a lot of that one. So, you moved out here and you did that. And then it's porn world is one of those things where it's like you just have to have one person to vouch for you, and then they then they all know you. Yeah, and it, it was definitely always helpful for me that I never had a desire to be male talent. Yeah. Almost every dude's like, I want to bang on film. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I want to do production. Right. Oh, you want to do production? You want to edit? You. The industry is much more inviting if you're not just trying to get laid. Yes. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. So you did that, and then, and then of course, that's perfect for starting a podcast because you're going to have people to do the podcast with, and, and then that's kind of where we met you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was like, cool. As I said, yeah. I was a fan of your guys' show. I was yeah. happy to support it. It was fun to sit down with you guys. Talk Appreciate it. Talk yeah. a little shit to Frank. And I wish Frank was here. Frank would be doing this podcast right now if he were not. Uh, he's in Australia right now doing a, uh, a dance tour. Um, now, are you... Does, does Frank need a roadie? I mean, I could roadie for Frank. Uh, yeah, well, oh, you know... I'm still in your job, aren't I? That's right. Yeah, because I'm the backpack guy. Oh, you've you've heard about this? Yeah, I, I listened to the show. Yeah, no, I I appreciate you listening. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, uh Frank's got his next fight uh, coming up with Fedor Emelianenko in April, and uh, I've been given the honor of being the guy to carry the backpack. Now, if you don't watch MMA, you're like, what? Well, that's is that an actual distinction? Yeah, because when the fighters weigh in, 
there is always a guy wearing a backpack with all the gear in it, and he has to immediately give the fighter Pedialyte, his shoes, his, you know, he's like the, the, uh, the attendant while this fellow is weighing in. So Is Frank planning to come in at 265? Well, he'll have to come in at 265. Well, or under. Oh, you mean or under? I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, he'll be he'll be uh, he'll be south of 265, especially to fight Fedor because Fedor is a smaller heavyweight. Yeah, Fedor usually walks around at like 230 ish. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would I would think that uh, that that Frank will be on the lighter side of because I know of Frank's himself. Been different you know, different sizes throughout his career. Yeah. You know, yep. when he fought Lesnar the second time he came in at like right at 265. Right, right. I but, mean, Lesnar was a guy that cut to 265, right. so he had to. But yeah, I would I would imagine he'll he'll be a little bit uh a little bit lighter. Yeah. You get, it's in Chicago. Yes. So I was actually thinking about flying home to watch the fight. You should, man. Um well, I'll be there, obviously, and uh you know, do a podcast. I mean, come out, do a podcast and uh I, uh, I, I, at some point we will make, uh, Frank available to the podcast. I mean, either we'll do something a few weeks in advance, like if we need to do a phoner kind of thing, or, uh, maybe after the fight, I mean, you know, who knows? I'll see what he feels like. He might not care and we'll do stuff during the week. I'm not sure. That'd be cool. I mean, if I'm going to be in Chicago with you guys, I'll make sure, you know, it's a fun time. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Let's do I that. So have a lot of friends in like the bar industry doesn't matter as yeah. much to you, but the restaurant industry has some friends that do some fine dining. That's great. Well, I'll tell you what I would really like for us to do is a live phone booth fighting uh, show while we're out there. And so maybe the early part, uh, well, let's see what, what day of the week we come in and all that, but maybe we can uh, we can line that up. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. i got some friends in the comedy scene there. I'll talk to them. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, because you got Zinnies, you got a Laugh Factory, the Improvs. Yeah, all the way out in Schaumburg, so you want to kind of avoid that. Yeah, oh. see, I I I never got to do uh, comedy in Chicago because um, of all the times that I've spent in Chicago, it was it was before I was doing stand up comedy. Chicago to me is a, a market that I associate with my old my old band days. Um, I did. I used to play. Tell me if any of these places are uh, are still around or, or you knew of them. Um, the Metro. Oh, yeah. The, the Metro theater. is a landmark. Okay. Okay. So played there. Uh, Lounge Axe. Is that still there? Don't know Lounge It's across from the Biograph Theater, or okay. it was, where John Dillinger got shot. I don't think that's there anymore. Okay. Uh, Beat Kitchen. Oh, yeah. Okay. Love the Beat Kitchen. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Elbow Room. Elbow Room is still there. Okay. One of my buddies manages it, actually. Oh, right on. Okay. Well, I have one time or another performed in all those. Yeah. No, those are all great. Great club venues. Cool. In Chicago. Well, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that most of them are still there. Yeah, the metro will never go away. Yeah. One time I got. This is the most un rock and roll moment that I ever had in a in a rock and roll band. Um, we were playing the Metro Theater, and we were playing there with Soul Asylum and somebody else that i can't remember soul asylum was headlining soul asylum was at their peak they were so runaway train yes uh uh dave perner was dating yep. winona Ryder. i mean she was there oh, yeah. in the dressing room this was yeah this was soul asylum at their mtv peak and uh you know we were all pretty excited about being on this bill and uh our bus driver who was uh a, a euro would 
he made this little apartment for himself in one of the bays underneath the bus. And there was a, there was like a trap door where he could be, he could be in the bus, lock the bus up and everything, and then open this trap door and crawl down into the bay and sleep. And he would sleep while we were performing. Uh, so he could drive all night. And so like any other night, he did this, not realizing that the band had actually locked itself out of the bus and all of our, our rock clothes were on the bus and all the rest of that. You know, we're wearing, well, I wasn't, but, you know, some of the other guys were wearing Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops <laughs> and stuff like that. Oh, I'd pay good money to see you in a Hawaiian yeah, shirt. Yeah, well, I, I, that was not what I had on. But still, I was not at my rock and roll best that <laughs> that, uh, that day. And so uh, we were locked out of the bus, and Graham, the, the Euro bus driver, was down in his little uh, cave asleep and uh, it was like ten minutes before we were supposed to go on, and we were dressed like uh, uh, like a bunch of Hawaiian tourists, <laughs> and we were kicking the side of the bus. And I think with just minutes to spare, he woke up. We got our clothes and walked on. But that's what I always associate with that night. <laughs> yeah, near miss. Yeah, absolute near miss. Wow. Mm. So, um, so well, what else? So, so speaking of music, actually, yeah. Because it was the day after the anniversary of Dime's death. That's right. With Jennifer and I, we're, my girlfriend Jennifer sitting here. We were just uh, talking about that uh, before we left the house. So where were you the night? Yeah. So I was at, uh, I was doing my radio show in Dallas, and I did a night show. And this was before, there was internet, but there was no social media. And so you could look things up on the internet, but it wasn't. It, the internet was not always instant, you know. Uh, and and what I remember was I had finished my show. Uh, I think I went off the air at eleven o'clock every night, and a guy called me. Now now the uh, the Pantera guys, Don Bag Daryl and, and his brother Vinnie Paul, well the whole band. But but even at that point, after Pantera had broken up, uh, Dime and Vinnie both lived in Arlington, Texas, and and I knew them growing up and. And uh, you just you knew them if you were around there. I mean, that the great thing about those guys is they never left. I mean, they they as big as they became, they just bought a cooler clubhouse. In fact, they have a strip club called the Clubhouse in Dallas. There. Yeah, yeah, you know. So you know everybody knew them in town, and so I was wrapping up my radio show, and I got a call from one of our uh, radio station promo guys, the guy that, you know, goes out and puts up the banners and hands out the refrigerator magnets and all that kind of stuff when you do the, the promotional stop. The street team guy. Yeah, exactly, the street team. And uh, he, was a, he was a friend of theirs as well. And he said, hey, I'm hearing this weird rumor that there was a shooting up there and that, that Dimebag had been killed. And I remember, because he didn't, you know, again, but before everybody had a smartphone, you just couldn't look it up on your phone. So he was calling me. He was at a remote, uh, radio remote. He called the studio. I pick up the studio line because we had internet access in the studio and he wanted me to look it up, see if I'd heard anything. And so um, I, I looked it up and I couldn't find anything. And it just, I remember thinking... Oh, this sounds hokey. Like, okay, yes, I'm gonna look this up, but this this sounds like an urban myth in oh, the yeah, making. Shootings like that just didn't happen. No, two thousand. Not at all. Not at all. So, so, uh, and I didn't find anything right away. There wasn't anything on the net. It seemed like it was an hour or two that passed 
before that news kind of started coming out. And then I found out about that. And I had just seen them maybe a month earlier because they did, speaking of the clubhouse, their strip club, their their band uh, at the time, Damage Plan, did a record, it was like an invitation-only record release thing at the clubhouse. And they actually performed on the clubhouse strip club stage. So I had seen that maybe like a, a month prior, and then they went out on tour. Well, um, so that happened, and then, you know, it was obviously very shocking and uh his funeral i went to his funeral it was in it was in arlington where they're from it was at the arlington convention center which was a a very big space for a funeral uh and eddie van halen was there and gene simmons had sent the kiss coffin because uh, uh well both brothers uh were huge kiss fans and so he was buried in the kiss coffin eddie van halen brought his uh if you're familiar with the the van halen guitar lineage the yellow and black stripe guitar that's on the cover of uh the first van halen album he brought that guitar with him and uh uh dimebag was buried with that as i as i recall uh and so yeah and then you know Vinny. now i see Vinny all the time now because he lives here in vegas yeah i've partied with him at porn parties a couple yeah yeah and which is it's nice that now that i relocated out here you know he's out here i see him at all the the, the concerts we go to and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Jennifer and I went to a, a pool party at his house uh, last summer. And uh, he's got, I mean, he didn't, he's still the same guy, you know, he, which is nice to see after something like that happening because, you know, something about him is, I, I mean, both of them were, were, were awesome guys, great guys. But when that happened, you did not see Vinnie Paul out for the, I want to say it just seemed like the better part of a year. You just he just kind of went away. Well, that makes and all the sense. Totally, totally. I mean, if you when you add all that up in your head, I mean, above and beyond just the horror of seeing somebody shot and killed in front of you, it's your brother. And by the way, it's the guy who does the thing with you professionally that you've never done without him professionally. I mean, it's, it's, there were so many things about it that were like, you know, these two were cosmically joined. Well, and on top of that, he, the gunman was coming after him next. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, he wasn't the only guy, a couple other guys that were, were killed. Their security guy yep, and, uh, and road crew, mayhem. Bray, mayhem. Yeah. Nathan yeah. Bray and right. oh, why am I spacing the last guy's name? I totally just posted yeah. a memorial to the the other victims yesterday. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah. So uh, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, and I've never, I've never directly confirmed this with him. But have you ever heard that that Matt Brown was in the crowd that night? UFC fighter, welterweight. No, I've never heard that. Yeah, it's I. One of these days, I'll uh, uh, find that out yeah, directly from him. Right? He is, yeah, yeah, and a huge metal fan. Yeah, huge he, metal fan. I'm sure he was. There. It all makes sense that he would be, but uh, I've never confirmed that with him. But I have heard that story. So anyway, it you know. Before I left Dallas, I would see Vinny out. I mean, he started to come out again, and he put Hell Yeah together and and all that. And um, uh, But then, once I moved out here, I think it was more or less right about the time he moved out here. So it's nice. You know, it's like you see him, and I'm, it's like an old Dallas friend. And I don't, I don't think 
I think he's the only <laughs> he's the only Dallas friend I have besides the the one I live with over here that uh, uh, joined you know joined me. I don't think that was his primary intention, but but anyway, he does he does about you know. Speaking of Hal Sparks, though. Hal could tell you a story. Uh, a few years back, Hal and I uh, were doing the Ar- a week at the Arlington Improv. Hal was opening over there, and I was—I mean, Hal was uh, headlining over there. I was opening for him, <laughs> and um, Hal, you don't have to laugh at that. I was, oh, I, no, I was I, laughing at your faux pas. Yeah, well, I know, I know. That's yeah. The the very idea of me being a headliner is comical in and of well, itself. No, 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 I know. How opening for? Don't you. try to clean it up now, man. Oh, I know not. what you're doing. I'm not. Um, I have no shame in why I was laughing at that. <laughs> but uh, I knew that that Hal was a big uh, was a big Pantera fan, and so we actually went over to Dimebag's house, and the house, and this was. A number of years after uh, what happened, after he was killed, and the house has been kept like as exactly as it was the day he left it, and um, uh, his has been a few years back, so I'm not sure what what the situation is with it now. But but we went over there, and his uh, dime bags uh, girlfriend uh, Rita, the girlfriend that he had for forever and ever. Um, had kind of opened up the house to us, and uh, there was a like a caretaker over there, and they just let us go through the whole thing. Play, we went in the guitar vault, we went in the studio, and the crazy thing was, it w- there were things like, I mean, you go in the studio behind the house, and just you know the picks and the guitar strings are still laid out, and the little notes scribbled on scraps of paper. None of that had been touched. Uh, I guess Jerry Cantrell from Allison Chains was over there so much that uh, Daryl had given him a bedroom, and that bedroom was there. The bed was unmade. I mean, just it was like frozen in time. You know? Wow, that is that's crazy. It was eerie. There were pictures drawn on the wall from like you know when Ace Frehley had been over and he drew a little caricature of himself on the wall. It was like uh, uh, I mean it was it was very much like a it was a man child's house. You know there were permanent Christmas lights strung up everywhere and all that kind of stuff. It's actually it's the house you see if you ever watch any of the Dime Vision videos. Yeah, that's where you yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. I mean it's yeah. eerie and awesome at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that being said, I'm going to see Travis Tritt tonight later. <laughs> yeah. Not quite as heavy. I got range, man. I got I got I got range. I I really enjoy uh old uh as the guys in Pantera do uh and did. Uh I enjoy uh old country music. Most of the country artists that I like are dead, so it's a rare treat when somebody that I actually like is still breathing. Oh. You definitely can tell those guys like their country. Rebel Meets Rebel is a great That's album. right. The David Allen Coe album. Yep, yep for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm big fans of those guys. Yeah. I was actually supposed to see them in Chicago the next morning. Oh, wow. oh yeah. They would have been there the next day. Wow. They were playing a kegs and eggs show at the Aragon Ballroom. Mm. They were supposed to. Yeah. I found out. I was getting ready to go to the show, mm-hmm. and there was a metal DJ named Freak who was on Q101 at the time, mm-hmm. and he just... Gets on air really somber. Yeah. I don't know how to tell you guys. I, I don't know how to say this, mm-hmm. but Dime was killed last night in Columbus, Ohio. And when I first heard him, like, this is a really sick joke. Yeah. But yeah. And there were no, you know, uh, probably now enough time has passed that uh, there's people here in this who were literally children when that happened that they they probably know the name but they don't have a a real-time recollection of when it happened and 
you know, one thing they're probably thinking of is, well, I don't know how that's, would the guy go in the back door or something? Because, you know, now when I go to a show, they're patting me down and they're wanding me with the metal detector and all that. He didn't do any of that back then. Well, they, they didn't do it. Some venues, but not a small club like that. Have you ever? I don't remember ever having it done to me. Chicago, there was definitely. Well, yeah. Yeah, you come from a. Come from a sketchy place. You sound like Trump. What the hell is happening in Chicago? They're living in hell. <laughs> well, and what's messed up is if that had happened today, yeah, people would definitely mourn dime, but mm. no one would really blink that there was a shooting on a show. That's true. That's, yep, you're right, sadly. That is that is very true. I mean, we saw it happen here in, uh, in Las Vegas. I mean, as much of a... Uh, uh, a, 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 a tragedy, a horrible thing has has happened with the uh, with the shooting on the strip down here. It's, I mean, life hasn't really changed that much, you yeah. know. I mean, I remember there was a lot of talk at the time about what do we do? Okay, how do you keep that from happening again? Basically, right? And we were at, you know, we went to a music festival. We went to Cal Jam. I think the week after that happened. Um, which was the thing the Foo Fighters put on out in San Bernardino. Now, that was at an amphitheater that had, uh, you know, there's no tall buildings uh, backed up against it. However, they did have, like, lookouts on the top of the stage, you know, cops with binoculars and things like that. So some things like that have changed. But but really, when you think about it, like that situation with the Strip, that whether or not that concert venue opens again, I mean, there's a million opportunities for situations like that that you're not going to be able to control. Well, what's unfortunate about how we handle hotels in America mm-hmm. is they're soft targets. Mm-hmm. If that had been four, a 400-pound bomb instead of 400 pounds of ammunition, yeah, we'd be looking at a lot more than 50 deaths. That's true. That's true. And you go to other parts of the world... You can't even approach a hotel with a vehicle without it, you know, them run the mirrors under it. Yeah. You know, your bags will be scanned. You're going through metal detectors. But America is more concerned with the privacy of guests, especially here in Vegas. Yeah. Than they are about the security of the guests. Well, and not only not only the privacy of hotel guests, but and this is where I, I think we can go overboard, is also the privacy of, you know, I don't want my I don't want to be on a government registry for my gun and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have to go through a licensing process that's government overreach. I mean, you know, you if you if you listen to Phone Booth Fighting, we did we must have done 3 at least uh in-depth podcast discussions uh as that whole thing played out and my my co-host Frank Mir, in addition to being a UFC fighter, is also uh, tied for uh, John Popper of Blues Traveler is the biggest gun nut that they're they're one in one a uh, that I personally know. And but you know he was saying at the time, listen that that I'm I'm going to maintain my arsenal, yeah, but and I want to have the right to do it, but that doesn't mean that we can't exercise some common sense measures here. And, you know, we were talking about it. Frank was saying he thinks it's, and again, this is, this is coming from, from the biggest gun guy I know. He was, he was saying he thinks it's crazy that you can buy a gun without having to go through a course to operate it. I'm 100% with Frank on that. Actually, when you guys were talking about it on air, I was pretty much talking at my phone. Like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Just like, 
I agree. Right. I agree. Well, he drew the analogy. He's like, you know, imagine, you know, go. you can go buy a car, but you can't drive it off the lot without a driver's license. Imagine if we started letting people do that just on the promise that at some point they'd, they'd get a little proper driving instruction. <laughs> right. It's, it's crazy. It's not a great analogy, unfortunately, comparing guns to cars just because you're going to use your car every day. Yeah. People go, oh, well, they don't need that. They're not going to use their gun every day. Mm-hmm. But you're a threat to yourself carrying a weapon if you don't know how to use it. Yes. But let alone the people around you. Yeah, absolutely. I've 100% been a proponent of mandatory training. I think CCW training is a joke. I have a Nevada CCW. Mm-hmm. There's one eight-hour course, and I was arguing with the instructor through it. Mm. You know, some of the principles he was teaching people i'm like you're gonna get someone killed in a real gunfight yeah you know he was stuff like oh yeah keep your safety engaged so i have a lot of experience you know doing armed security Mm -hmm. and the problem is if you get into a real firefight something as simple as disengaging your safety could be the difference between life and death Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you pull your weapon you go go bang it goes click Mm mm-hmm you're shot. Yeah. People need to be very proficient with their weapons. They need to learn how to clear the jams. They need they need a lot more training. Yeah. Clear the jams was my favorite MC5 song, by the <laughs> way. I uh no, it's 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 very true and I think it's also Frank and I um also, you know, talked about the need to and I think this applies to anything, not just second amendment stuff, but I, getting getting rid of the whole slippery slope argument. Because whenever somebody says, well, you do that where, you know, we get rid of bump stocks. Where do you draw the line? Well, you draw the line right there. Well, we've already, that's, drew, that's we already like, drew a line. There's lines drawn all the time. You know where the line in porn is drawn? 18. Yep. Okay. Well, gosh, you know, you set a limit at 18. Where are you going to draw the line? 18. Hell, <laughs> that's I, where was, you set I was on a set three weeks ago. Uh-huh. And... There was a performer there doing a non-sexual, like just an extra in a scene. Uh-huh. She didn't. She had an expired license, and they're like, "Yeah, we can't have you on camera." Mm-hmm. They know she's eighteen. She's there with people that know her, but she can't prove it. Mm-hmm. So for legal reasons, they're like, "We can't have you on camera." Well, see there, we start requiring ID, and where are we going to draw the line? <laughs> right there. Yeah, it's like that's the crazy thing. Is that lines are drawn all the time. Well, you set a speed limit at sixty-five miles an hour. Where are you going to draw the line? Sixty-five miles an hour. Then you can have a discussion later if you want to about making it higher or lower. We already don't allow. Fully automatic machine guns. Exactly. You know, well, what what do you mean I I can't own weapons-grade plutonium? The terrorists might have it, and then I need that to defend myself. Well, no, no, you don't. We drew a line. Sorry, you're south of the line (laughs) on that, on that one thing. Though I do really agree with Frank that we're lucky that that guy was using a bump stock. Oh, right, right, yeah, as far as not not being more precise with his... uh, with his weapon. Yeah, he hit under 3% of what he was shooting at. Yeah. It's a horrible loss of life. I'm not trying yeah. to discount it, but... No, and, and, and you know, we keep talking about Frank like he's here, but listen, he's uh, he's my... He is my, my gun guru. He's bigger than life. I, he is bigger than life. He's But he's 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 the guy... I'd never fired a gun until I, I knew Frank and, and went out and shot him with him, and I've done it a number of times since then, but but the, the, the what, what he and I have talked about 
is the fact that, you know, when people say any any shooting scenario you're going to bring up, you know, movie theater or school or whatever, and people start saying, well, it's just too bad that everybody in that theater wasn't armed. And Frank will immediately say, oh, no, 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 that makes it worse. You don't want everybody armed. What you want is you want a few well-trained people armed. Definitely. And really, what's going to save you more than you being armed in a lot of cases is knowing where the exit is. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, talking about you know, eliminating things like bump stocks, like high capacity magazine clips. The reason for that is so that you don't take a really bad shot and make them far more effective in the, in the period of time until you can get to them to neutralize them. This is true, but I will on the high capacity and I will argue the fact that if you have a gun and you're shooting at unarmed targets, like, you know, Sandy Hook, it doesn't really matter what kind of magazine you got there. They can't return fire. Well, that's true, but you can fire a lot more rounds in a much shorter time of space. He's talking about, like, imagine we're, you know, church shooting or movie theater, you know, some of these things that have happened before. Frank's armed at all times. So, but he he doesn't have a, a high-capacity clip on him at all times. So so the oh, idea... Uh, really? He doesn't have a 15? Not at all times. He doesn't have a 15-rounder on him? I not, find that hard to believe. Well, he might. I don't know. I'd have to... I'd, maybe maybe he does. I don't know. He gets... It's funny. He doesn't like me to reveal all of his secrets. Well, like... Hey. Yeah, yeah. He, he sometimes he'll uh, he'll he'll tell me he'll talk about all these things, but he leaves one or two locations on his person out where where he has a weapon. But uh, but but the, just the idea being that if somebody you know goes off, if somebody's nuts and they're spraying bullets around the place, you want them to have you want them to have to reload, for example. But someone who's proficient, that's under a second. Yes, but how many people, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but if you add up all the, the mass shooters, you're not talking about a lot of expert marksmen. True. I mean, you're, talking, you're just talking about crazy people. True. Bringing it back to the dime situation, Yeah. have you ever um, read Vulgar Display of Power by Chris A? No. He's a rock photographer who did a biography on the other victims of that night. Mm, mm-hmm. And one of the chapters is a play-by-play by eyewitness accounts of how it went down. Oh, wow. Well. And I am unfortunately completely spacing on the shooter's name because I didn't bother to remember it. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah. He actually dropped and reloaded during... Yeah. Uh, That's right. I do. I, I remember that. Yeah. I remember hearing that. The capacity of the magazines, I don't feel, will make that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe limiting 100-round magazines on rifles, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But mm-hmm. 15 rounds in a handgun, a five-round difference isn't going to make that big of a deal. Well, okay, but but I see what you're saying. So, I mean, within that conversation, there's a whole range of, of sub-narratives. Yeah. But again, what we don't need right now is somebody sitting here going, well, you get into all that where you're going to draw a line. Right. You just drew a line. Okay, well, maybe we look at 100-round rifles. Maybe we don't look at 15-round uh, handguns. Okay, that's a line we can discuss. Well, and the problem is a lot of the legislators are making knee-jerk reactions, like New York banned over seven rounds. Well, they don't make magazines for semi-automatics that are under 10 mm. for a standard size mm-hmm. handgun. Mm-hmm. So their police force mm. now had a bunch of illegal weapons. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Our, yeah. Legi- our legislators need to be better educated on what they do. What they do. You know what? I I will say this: if you're going to take money from a lobby, 
I think you should have a lot of pressure on you to be able to at the drop of a hat articulate that lobby's position you know i mean i saw a lot of people saying well i'd never even heard of bump stocks well you sure took a lot of money from organizations that champion their legality to not have any idea what that is definitely and john oliver actually made a really good point about this the reason the nra's position is real easy because their position is always no that's right. It's FU. It, it, 100%. You want to talk about not drawing a line. I mean, it's, it's, it's always no. And, and, and they exist, and they, 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 sur- they thrive. I started to say survive, but they thrive financially on the slippery slope argument. And you know what? That, and just getting, I mean, we're... we're, we're we, we we're went from tying- being a funny co- podcast to being a political one all of a sudden. But- yeah, well, I, I, I yeah. But <laughs> that's happens. okay. I somet- well, sometimes there's there's humor in in, uh, in in reality and current events. But, but you know, that's why the slippery slope argument bothers me, not just as it pertains to gun rights, but really anything. Because you'll, you'll hear people say this when it comes to, I don't you know, something like recycling. Oh, gosh. Well, why are you going to recycle that bottle when, you know, that can over there ended up in the trash? Well, because that's better than you not doing anything. But the people who really don't want to do anything, that's an excuse that they give themselves to rationalize not doing anything. I can't do everything, so why do anything? Right. But if they thought about it of, well, if I don't do something, that's now two cans sitting on the ground. Yes, that's right. if all three of us left our cans on the ground, well, there's four cans on the ground now. Right. That's right. That's right. People and tend not to think beyond their own personal sphere. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Um, wow, we got heavy. That's okay. <laughs> do, I need to, do I need to lighten the mood a little bit? Uh, you were asking me about uh, how my roast battle went the other night. Oh, yeah. I did a, uh, I did a, I do stand-up comedy, and uh, I got involved in my first ever roast battle. Now, roasts have kind of made a comeback. When I was a kid, it was like Dean Martin's celebrity roasts and stuff like that. Um, and and now they've with Comedy Central over the last few years, they they made a comeback. Well, the uh, the the comedy club that's here at the uh, Stratosphere on the Vegas Strip, uh, called the LA Comedy Club hosts a roast battle and uh uh this was their fourth season of doing it i think and the guy that runs it um called me and said hey one of the guys it was a, it starts out as a 16 man tournament and one of the guy the guy that runs it called me and said hey one of one of the people dropped out cuz it plays out over like four weeks four rounds and he said do you want to do it and i said yes and then I, because I'll say I'm like the opposite of the NRA when it comes to comedy. I just say yes to whatever gig. <laughs> but um, I said yes, and then I got off the phone, and I immediately realized that I'm the easiest target of all for this stuff. I look weird. I think weird. I've, I've done a bunch of weird stuff. Like, I I looked at all the comedians in this thing, because what you're doing is you're writing insults. You know, you've got to get up on stage, you've got to insult them, and then you also have to prepare to have rebuttals for whatever they say about you. And I was looking at this going... I wish I was insulting me. I wish I was writing for me because I am a much easier target. I don't know what this says about my self-esteem, but I think I am much easier to insult than any of these other people. So, um, Well, I think you're also probably a bigger name than some of the other people. You've been in radio forever. You have a, pod, a very popular podcast that you're on twice a week. I'll, you know, I've looked at who some of your competition is. 
I couldn't pick them out of a lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's the it's the it's the downside of being easily Googleable. You know, where you, you somebody searches your name and a whole lot of weird stuff comes up. So, uh, so I was sort of prepared for that, and I was you know writing my rebuttals accordingly. And to my surprise, I had some success doing it. I got through uh, three rounds, and then I lost the championship. So I took the uh, the silver medal. But uh, first loser, that sucks. Yeah, first loser. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. Do you know I have had the aspiration i i've claimed for years i'm going to do this i've never done it i at some point before i'm gone would like to dedicate myself to learning the names of all the people who ran for president and lost because when you think about it these people were the second closest in a four-year period to being the most powerful person in the world. They came up just short. They came in second. A whole lot of people supported them. And some of them came back and won. Nixon right. lost. That's right. That's right. Sometimes they come back and win, but no one remembers them otherwise. And so I would like to have the, the party trick. Good thing I have a girlfriend now because this would not be a great way to pick up girls to, you know, at a, at a party, be able to um, entertain everyone with, uh, you know, hey, throw out an election year and I'll tell you who lost. So, so I, I periodically I work on it and I can go all the way back to uh, part of FDR's administration. So which one of his terms? Because he had three terms. Yes, he did. Um, Dewey is, uh, uh, let's see, no, Dewey beat Truman. Um, who was the, uh, who was the guy? There was a guy that ran against FDR. Oh, hell. What is the guy's name? I think the reason I remember him is because, you know, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt was a, uh, was a very progressive first lady. I mean, she would be even by today's standards, but certainly, uh, for, for back then. And, you know, she was, uh, I think later on she became a UN ambassador. I mean, she was Hillary Clinton before there was a Hillary Clinton, but, uh, the guy that ran against Roosevelt that year, and they, they would actually, the, the ads, I mean, they weren't even ads. They were news stories, the newsreels you would see like before movies would play in theaters because everybody didn't have a television. But this guy was actually championing the fact, he was, he was showing off in these news stories that his wife, like sitting in a rocking chair doing knitting and stuff, like essentially she knew her place. Family values. That's right. That's right. My wife knows her place. She's not gallivanting around like this She's Eleanor She's pumping out Roosevelt. children like she should. That's right. That's right. Crazy to think where we've come in a hundred years. Yeah. You know, the idea of, I mean, it's kind of foreign that Melania is not really talking. She's just kind of there. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the first ladies always take up some sort of a, uh, they champion a cause, you know, like Barbara Bush's was literacy um, in, in, in uh, Michelle Obama's was nutrition. I mean, in more recent Nancy years, Reagan was say no to drugs. That's right. Say no to drugs, different strokes, cameo appearance. Um, but, you know, back then, uh, I mean, I think in more modern years, some of the stuff has become, it's not just like a, a niche cause like i mean hillary clinton was the original health care reformer and, and that sort of thing which that didn't go well for her but um but now 
I do. What I find is amusing about Melania Trump is that when she does champion a cause, it's 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 bullying. She wants to cut down on cyberbullying, and uh, to which I always say, you know, she can't even get one of her kids to quit calling people ugly names on the internet. I don't know how she thinks she's going to have success with anyone else or her husband. Well, that's right. Yeah, that was one of the kids I was referring oh. to. Yeah, <laughs> the big kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've taken a step back. Yeah. Say what you want. Like I, while I was here, my uncle lives in town, and he is pretty conservative. So I've mm-hmm. been going over talking points with him mm-hmm. when we were at dinner the other night, and it's it's interesting to hear the other side. I we definitely actually I just messed up right there calling it the other side. We're all goddamn Americans. Mm-hmm. By calling it the other side, that's how we alienate people. That's how we don't come to compromise. Right. Right. And that's. One of the things that we as Americans should do is reach out to other Americans, hear their point of views, and try to understand them. I agree with that. I think what you're fighting, though, is an element of human nature. Like To me, one of the biggest political fallacies is when you hear a politician say, and it's usually when they're running uh, during the campaign, they'll say, you know— the people of America are tired of the partisan bickering. They are ready for us to get to work and do our job, and they're tired of the us against them. No, they're not. They're actually, that is something that they understand. What, what our culture understands is us against them. It's, it's why we love football. It's my team versus your team. My team's awesome. It's going to win the Super Bowl. Your team sucks. Uh, on a on a on a more uh, human uh, a human level, uh, you know, I'm blaming that group over there for my problems and my shortcomings. Well, and this is part of the reason that we I don't know if it's ever happened where we every time that we're at, actively at war, the president gets reelected. Yeah, because we as a people are, oh, we have an enemy. Right. That's right. Yeah. And it, it's yeah, it's right that, that that's something everybody can or at least historically has united behind. But but this idea, I mean, I agree that that's something that needs to change. But but we need to not pretend like there's some mystery reason why all these politicians do this divisiveness and it, it doesn't work. It absolutely works. That's why they're doing it to 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 begin with. That's why they they get all wrapped up in these. And, you know, when when the economics of it, the things that involve actual math and numbers become a little boring. Um, anything that, uh, you know, parallels the line of a real housewives plot is very appealing to the average American because that's something that they can all, uh, uh, indulge in. And that's, it's like eating dessert for dinner every night. I mean, that's something people need to check themselves on not doing, if in fact any of this is really going to change. We can only hope. I mean, we can't improve as a country if we don't all come together, at least compromise. Yeah. You can't have your way all the time. Yeah. No matter what your way is. How about just being able to explain why you think the way you think? How about just being able to articulate that? You know, and if you find that you can't, spend some time on it until you can, because one of two things is going to happen. Either your positions will be fortified uh, because you'll feel like you're arguing from a, a position of strength and knowledge, or, dare I say it, 
you might modify your viewpoints because upon further reflection, uh, you realize that, you know, maybe you think a little differently than you thought you did originally, and uh, don't be afraid of that. Definitely. At least in my social media feeds, like, you know, my Facebook with my friends and such, everyone's in favor of socialized health care. Yeah. So sitting down with my conservative uncle, he's 100% against it. Mm-hmm. And he actually was able to articulate reasons why he's against it. Mm-hmm. Does he like the VA? He actually volunteers at the VA. Oh, okay. Well, we got to get rid of that. That's, that's socialized medicine 101. That's going to have to go away then. Well, his problem isn't so much the socialized medicine mm-hmm. as in the corruption within the socialized oh, medicine. Well, sure. Okay. But are we throwing the, the socialized medicine out with the bathwater, or are we saying that uh, there needs to be uh, you know, uh, better monitoring of, of the VA? Well, I think we definitely do. Because he was yeah. telling me, he's a volunteer. Yeah. And when he clocks in, though he's only working a five-hour shift, he has to clock in at the volunteer's office, and they make him clock in for eight hours, even though he's only working five. Mm-hmm. And he's driving for the VA. Then he has to go dr- clock in with the driver's pool for another eight hours. Mm-hmm. So on the clock, he's working 16 hours, though he's only working five, which doesn't matter to him because he's a volunteer. Mm-hmm. But paid employees, it works the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, no, listen, it's, it's you know, if you're going to have something, anything, uh, you're going to have to nurture it. You're going to have to monitor. You know, if you're going to have a kid, you've got to be responsible for raising it. Now, you could make an argument that, well, the, the, the easiest thing to do would be to not have any. Sure. But I don't want to tell you you're not entitled to do it if you want to. I'm just saying there's a responsibility that comes along with it. So do I think there should be a VA? Absolutely. And I don't know anybody who disagrees with that. You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's amazing. You, you, you never meet an old person that wants to get rid of their Medicare. Um, no, not at all. And that is socialized medicine. So, so it's it's these are things no one wants to get rid of. But if you're talking about they can be um, improved, great. Let's talk about improving them. But just these these scare words like like uh, socialism in general, you right, know, because people just automatically go socialism, communism. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you know you're you, you know you're you're out on anything uh, socialist. Uh, if your your house gets robbed tonight, are you going to call the socialist police department, or are you going to call your private security force? Well, my guess is uh, that unless you're one of the few that uh, might actually have a private security force, uh, you're going to call. You're going to do like the rest of us do, and you're going to call the police department that you pay taxes for. But guess what? Other people who are afforded the exact same level of protection pay more and also less than you do for that same protection. That is called socialism. What are you talking about? I'm going to take my AR-15. I'm uh-huh. going to deal with the problem myself. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know how that works out for you. In California, I will go to prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. No. Hell, not even healthcare. Who built these roads? That's right. That's that's right. You know, everything cannot be privatized, and everything shouldn't be privatized. But I'll tell you something, though. I'll tell you something. You know what? Uh, you still have amazingly uh, when you when you talk about like uh, public works and 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 roads and things like that. You got toll roads now. How can a toll road, which in, inherently always has, inevitably always has the more convenient route? 
how can a toll road exist next to a publicly funded socialist thoroughfare? Well, it's, it's a premium for the convenience, for the directness of the route. And so it's the same reason why when Walmart opens up uh, down the block, Neiman Marcus doesn't get nervous. Why is that? Everything's cheaper at Walmart. I mean, Neiman Marcus, I bet they can't stay in business. Amazingly, they do because they cater to a clientele that can afford the best of everything, and then those people will never shop at Walmart uh, and vice versa. There's uh, a whole lot more people who will go to the Walmart because they can't afford Neiman Marcus. Same thing with the post office versus FedEx. People who have the means will always get the best. And that's okay. That part of it, I'm okay. That part is inherently American and that's okay. That's okay. But on the flip side, corporate welfare isn't. It's not okay with me, but it's amazing how the same uh, people, the same, you know, uh, uh, you know, corporate business types who will decry the, you know, the welfare queen mom with the five kids or whatever, uh, they will come to the taxpayers with their handout to build a new stadium for their NFL team. And let me tell you, nobody knows how to beg for money like, uh, like, like uh, corporate welfare recipients. I mean, when, when they come asking for money, it is a, it's a hefty bill. It's crazy. Like, if you can't afford to employ people, you shouldn't be in business. I agree with that. Yes. And you know what? To me, that is that is what the free market system is meant to be. You know, we're here at, at Starbucks right now, speaking of uh, mom and pops. <laughs> um, you know, this cup of coffee that's in front of me here costs, I think, $2.45. And the reason it costs that much is because I paid that, okay? And some other people did who were in line uh, in front of me. So that's why they set that price. Now, if they charge, uh, you know, $5.60 for that cup of coffee, I'm not going to buy it. There's going to be some other people who aren't going to buy it. Well, the, the, the true free market way would tell them, okay, we've, we've outpriced our customer base. We have to lower the cost of that cup of coffee. But the corporate welfare recipient would go knock on all these uh, doors uh, around this neighborhood and say, hey, listen, we're, we're from the Starbucks. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you heard, but we're charging $5.60 for and coffee we now. Jobs. That's right. We create jobs, but uh, we're hurting for business. So we need you guys to kick in some money to subsidize us. You'd get laughed off of their doorstep if you did that. But if you got an NFL team, it's a different story. Well... There can even be an argument made, not that I'm going to make it, that an NFL team at least pro- provides a distraction, provides something for the community. Oh, and that's why they vote for it. That, that's exactly why they support stuff like that. Listen, I got a, you know, my, my whole theory on things like NFL teams are that, uh, you know, and listen, I, I cover, you know, uh, mixed martial arts. I mean, it's a UFC's very, very popular enterprise so i understand it but the thing is is that particularly as it pertains to things like the nfl my thought is this that you know by the time the average guy gets to be in his mid-40s things have not turned out well uh nothing like what he'd hoped he has a job that he hates he might be married to somebody he doesn't like that much anymore and sunday is the only day where those two things leave him alone. He doesn't go to work, and his wife goes out somewhere, and he puts on a jersey, and he gets out his fantasy football roster, and he uses 
pronouns like like we, you know, we had a great game today. We made a big halftime adjustment when when we were down uh, going in the locker room, and and that's he that's all he's got going for him in his miserable life. And if you can connect your product to somebody on that level of like a de facto religion, not only do you have a license to print money, you got a license to kill if you, you want it. Oh, hell. NFL players have made – you've talked about this on phone move. Yes. Later. NFL players have committed a lot of crimes. That's why it's amazing now to watch everybody get upset about the, the national anthem protests. And, and you're within your rights to be upset if you want to be. That's fine. That's a conversation we can have. But this, this is a, a product, this NFL, that since the early 2000s has seen almost 1,000 – arrests, which have included uh, hundreds of domestic, uh, dis- you know, uh, 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 violence incidents, uh, and and uh, two murders, you know, but but Only this, two? yeah, two, right, yeah, well, you know, convictions, but this is going to be the how thing. many arrests? Oh, oh, hundreds, hundreds. I mean, for murder. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You caught me, but it's like you know. You you look at numbers like that, and then you're like, okay, but this is the thing that's really causing everybody to say, okay, this is a bridge too far. Well, and it's a great illustration of American short-term memory is the fact that up until not that many years ago, players didn't even come out during the national anthem. It wasn't until right the military yeah paid the NFL to have the players out there to look more patriotic. To increase, in, you know, enlistment numbers. Yeah, well, it's same is like putting in God we trust on money. You know, I think that happened in the fifties. Fifty three. Yeah, I mean, you know, people think that that's something that you know happened in seventeen seventy six. It was not. No, no, this is not a Christian country. Yeah, God's got nothing to do with it. But back to your roast. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Right. So anyway, so I came in second in the roast. <laughs> my my listener base is like. Ugh, politics. Yeah. Yeah. Who are your listeners? I, do you, I mean, do you, I mean, just by and large, if you were to describe to people, because, you know, I'm sure you, you hear from people on, I mean, you obviously know I am, but, but like you hear from people on social media and things like, what are your, you know, is it mostly male? Is it mostly female? Is there an age range? I would, I would wager that it's 18 to 35 year old males mostly. Mm hmm. You know, people that are, probably a little more li- liberal leaning though mm-hmm. got blasted on itunes for when we had chris gore on and chris bashed trump quite a bit mm-hmm. and they're like the episode's unlistenable oh I hate when they get political yeah but we don't exist in a vacuum unfortunately this affects right. us all so we talk about it occasionally, right right especially get a little alcohol in me and yeah it happens yeah but uh, i would i would assume that a lot of our fan base is into adult entertainment mm-hmm because, you know, we do have a lot of adult performers that come on the show. Right. Other than that, I don't really know now. Yeah. Okay. And, hey, guys, if you're listening to this, tweet at me. I respond to everybody. Mm-hmm. Are you going to do – let me ask you a question about uh, your – because I guess you'll be back in Vegas here uh, at the beginning of the year to collect your, your AVN award. Now, are you going to – I know a lot of these adult performers during AVNs will have after parties. Are you going to host your own after party? Should we get that together? Oh, we should. We should. No, I will probably be at a bunch of the after parties. I don't think I'm 
quite at the level to host just yet. No, well, my 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 breasts aren't quite luscious enough. Yeah, all right. No club is paying me thousands of dollars to show up. Yeah, well, no, they're paying one of the Kardashians' boyfriends. I don't even know which one of them, but like the boyfriend is. I've seen billboards for him around town to host parties. Oh, is this Scott Disick? Yeah. Yeah, I always he's always I always see him. It looks like it's his birthday every other week. There's always a birthday celebration going on. Well, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess that's fine for him. The 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 one boyfriend of a Kardashian I had anything to do with, I would suggest stays a hundred miles away from porn awards. That's nothing that he needs to have any part of. Oh, if he stays sober, Adam, he'll be fine. Yeah, I don't. No, no, no. Not you didn't see him like I saw him. Oh, hey, he could just hire you to keep you around and keep him alive. Well, we we cheated death once. I don't know if it's gonna we're gonna be as lucky the uh, the second time around. Oh, it's a three strike rule. I don't know about that. He barely uh, he barely survived his. I, of course, I doubt that was his first strike. I think that was uh, just the first one I saw. <laughs> Is he out? Like I saw some pictures. I think he's out partying again or something. I don't think he. Uh, I don't think I was a strong enough influence on him to walk the straight and narrow. So you just gotta, you know, be like, hey, Lamar, I will keep you sober. Just chain him up in your basement. <laughs> Teach him the ways of Richard Hunter. <sighs> yeah. Hey, maybe he can be one of those, you know, athletes that goes from another sport to MMA. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, you know, um, you know what? I don't think he, that guy was so big, I don't think he could weigh 265 pounds. I'm guessing he was well north of that. Go fight in Ryzen then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We get him like a freak fight over in Japan. Yeah, I guess that could work. Come on. That'd be great to watch him fight some average-sized Japanese man. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Shinji Aoki. <laughs> Make that fight. Chain him in your basement. He only gets to leave to go to Drysdale's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be good. You'd save his life. You'd do a mitzvah. See, I'm already practicing for my rabbi character. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you... What, what, I know the term, but what? what is that? A What's the literal trend? Okay. That's what that means. It's a good deed. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I'm Lamar Odom's mitzvah. <laughs> yeah. If he had died on your watch, would you have had bad repercussions at work? Um, Matt's talking about the brothel I work at, by oh, the yeah, way. Oh, yeah, for my the, listeners, sorry. The day that Lamar Odom came in and overdosed. I mean, I, I know... Um, I think I would have still been seen as maybe doing whatever I could have done, but the way that it played out was more, um, it was way more involved than I thought it was going to be. I actually, uh, you know, I, I typically, um, you know, don't, don't shy away from, from doing media hits, but, uh, just in general, but, uh, with that, that was actually one thing that I thought, okay, the tasteful thing to do is just to release a written statement. You know, we're hoping for the best for Lamar. We did everything we could. Uh, we, you know, had no knowledge that he, you know, had drugs on him or in his system or anything. We have a very staunch anti-drug policy. Exactly. All that, all that, and leave it at that. But, uh, if you know anything about, uh, the guy, uh, that owns the brothels, Dennis Hoff, he, he, he does, he does media and, uh, he wasn't going to let this be an exception. So, so I was, I did have a brief thought that what I was going to do when all the media started showing up to to interview me, that 
I would get them to just, I didn't want to be on camera at first. And then after that, I said, well, if it's got to be on camera, can you just shoot me from the side? And the first, I think CNN was like one of the first ones that I did. And they shot me from the side. And I got a text message from uh, uh, Goes over an MMA junkie. And the text message just said, dude, we can clearly tell that's you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, all right, well, never mind. Were you wearing the bandana on CNN too? I might have been. Uh, I can't remember that. Boy, that that there was 72 hours of all that that followed that was just a blur. Uh, actually, like lived out there at the brothel for a couple of days. Normally, I commute back and forth back into town, but uh, yeah, it was that was 24 seven out there for about three days. Yeah, that's crazy. So, are you driving back to LA tonight? I am. Oh my gosh! All right, because I'm a crazy person. Yeah, because I don't want to drive back on Sunday because that's horrible yeah i've i've done that drive i've done that drive a lot so i uh i know hey you know what i got a jewish question for you because we're sitting here in my neighborhood and on saturdays we get a lot of the jewish folk that live in the area walking because they can't drive right and uh they're all wearing their uh that same outfit so the the deal is they're orthodox right and from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, is that the deal? That is the deal. We don't drive. We're going to walk everywhere. They're probably just walking to their temple and stuff like that. I know we got some of those around. I mean, if you're super orthodox, mm-hmm. you're not even allowed to flip light switches. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I just I know I see see everybody out a lot uh, doing that, and I, I thought I had the basic beats down, but I just wanted to make sure I I understood all that. Yeah, well, and what's crazy in New York City, there is a because technically Orthodox Jews are allowed to do things within their home. Yeah, there is a line that goes around New York City, goes around Manhattan to that a rabbi ordains on the Sabbath to make everything within that line mm. technically someone's home. So Orthodox Jews in New York, oh, can still do things. Wow, that sounds like a real best of both worlds scenario. Uh, I forgot what outlet did it, but there was an outlet that did an article on the rabbi who every Friday <laughs> goes and makes sure that the line is intact because if it's not yeah. intact, it's invalid. Oh, that's awesome. Like, what a That's gig. awesome, yeah. Yeah, but sun, now it's it's Saturday as we tape here, and uh, the sun is down, so it's party time. Oh, yeah. I mean... Break uh, out the wine. Yeah, yeah. Actually, a lot, of, a lot of Orthodox Jews like scotch. Okay. Which I'm like... Didn't know. I didn't, didn't know, know that. I'm a really bad Jew. Oh, yeah? You don't say. <laughs> As I eat my bacon right now. Even though you play Orthodox on screen. Yeah. In reality. A really bad Not Jew. so much. Okay. Very but, good. Um, I worked, you know, in one of my various security gigs, I worked. Jewish events will hire armed security mm. for just, like, social gatherings mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And I worked in an event, like, it was, like, a youth mixer. And the rabbi is, like, pounding scotch during this. Hmm. And I'm just like, wow, I didn't think scotch was kosher. But You're like, I know porn stars that don't drink as much as you do. Oh, yeah. And the minute I was off the clock, the rabbi was like, you sure you don't want a shot? <laughs> like, I have a gun on my hip. I'm, I'm wildly irresponsible at times, but I'm not that wildly irresponsible. Yeah. Did he ask you any uncomfortable questions? Like, have you ever met Sidney Steele? Anything like that? No, no. Oh. I don't think he really realized who he was who was working for him. Yeah, 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I was told by like the guy who got me the gig, he's like, whatever you do, don't tell the rabbi you're Jewish. Oh, okay. Because he's like, the rabbi will not be happy about it. You know, someone who's Jewish working on the Sabbath. Oh yes, yeah. Okay. Even when it's in a security capacity, I mean, you're yeah, you're, any yeah. work. Okay. Hire a goy for that. Yeah. All right. Very nice. I keep meaning to ask you. Sure. So, what was the 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 knockout punch that got you knocked out of the roast battle? <sighs> well, the guy that won it all is uh, he was a defending champion, so he'd won it before. And honestly, he's very good. Stylistically, he's very good, and he no-sells everything. So anything, uh, this guy's name was, um, uh, this guy's name is um, uh, Joe, Jesus Christ, what is his last name? It's did not Conti. Did yeah. you do this badly? I know, I, I blocked it out. It's not Conti, it's not Cortez, I'll think of it in a second. Anyway. Um, but he, uh, he, he know he, you know, he gave you like zero reaction to anything you hit him with and his, his insults were good. The only thing is they were a little generic. So meaning like, I think two, you got four cracks at somebody basically four jokes. And I believe two of his jokes were pertaining to, they were like gay jokes, which would be fine if I were gay, but I was kind of like, I, are these 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 sound like they were just recycled for someone, you know, and so um, but they were good, and you know everybody there's a there's a lowest common denominator that'll laugh at you know that dude sucks cock, you know, so it was something something along those lines, yeah. Uh, is it taped? Can we hear it somewhere? Oh yes, yeah. In fact, uh, if you listen to, uh, I should just post them all up on uh, YouTube. I'll probably do that. But uh, well, Phone Booth Fighting has a YouTube channel, and if you listen to the podcast, then uh, we played clips of the first two rounds of the the roast battles already on previous episodes, and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll we'll put this one up as well. Yeah, I can't wait to hear because I really enjoyed what I heard. Thank you. Thanks very much. Well, hopefully you can come out to a live comedy gig here sometime. So Yeah, I was bummed I wasn't in last weekend. Yeah. I was originally supposed to be. I was going right. to come out for the final. Should yeah, that would have been cool. That would have been cool. Hopefully that or we'll be out in L.A. doing some stand-up. I do know that L.A. is our biggest domestic market on phone booth fighting. So uh, to all of the, uh, the, the L.A. listeners that we share with uh, and now we drink, we appreciate you. Hey, I appreciate you know the listeners I got from doing the show last year. Yeah. Yeah, I got a lot of feedback. Like, loved you on phone booth fighting. Good, good. Glad to hear that. Glad so, to hear there's some symmetry. Is there plans for you guys to do a tour? I mean, I know like Callan and Shab are out right. touring all the yes, time. Yes, yes. So that's definitely we 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 definitely want to do live dates. Frank's schedule with his commentary. It's not so much the fighting stuff. It's the the color commentary that he does for fights with ACB has him traveling globally every week almost at least every other week and so that's what kind of keeps us from doing more live dates but uh we'll we'll definitely do more of those and i think once he starts fighting again uh in bellator uh in april that fight with fedor and then moving forward um there'll be more opportunity to do some live shows along the way so yeah because i i i I like performing in front of a crowd i mean to me that's that's my preferred way of doing it so yeah i look forward to us doing that Hey, it would be really awesome if you guys could set up something live before the fight. You really don't probably don't want to have Frank on stage after the fight. Man, he always, you know, even when he wins, a lot of times he looks like he's been in a car wreck. It's jarring the first time you see it. And what's really weird is his family, who's grown up 
I mean, his wife's been with him as long as he's been a fighter, and his kids have grown up with it. It's nothing to them. You know, dad's limping around with a, you know, hematoma protruding from his skull or whatever. And it's just, an, you know, well, they're going to Disneyland, you know, in a couple of days as soon as the swelling goes down. So they're all happy. Well, I mean, I'm curious to see what Fedor shows up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, arg- I mean, you know, arguably the greatest heavyweight of all time, Fedor Emelianenko. Uh, it's a fight a lot of people have wanted to see for a lot of years between him and Frank and, and finally... You know, finally we're going to get it. So, hopefully, uh, it's it's en route to Frank. Uh, you know, claiming the Bellator heavyweight title. That's what the tournament is all about. But uh, at, at regardless of any of that, we're we're going to finally get to see a, a dream fight that a lot of people wanted to see all those years that Frank was in the UFC and Fedor was not, and that's what kept it from ever happening before now. Oh, as I said, I want to fly to Chicago to actually watch that fight. Like that's cool, man. I'm that's how excited I am about it. I'm like, yeah. I don't watch Bellator all that often. Yeah, yeah. And to go to a live card, especially yeah. fly out of state for it, because yeah. it is two of my favorite fighters. Yeah, finally, you know, clashing heads. I wish it would happen ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, ten years ago, that would have been crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's going to be a lot of fun in April, and I'm glad it's in Chicago. I haven't been back to Chicago in a long time, and that'll be a good place to do the fight. And it's going to be fun to have the the podcast, you know, be able to experience it along with Frank and share it with all our phone booth fighting listeners. I uh, I am really going to have to urinate. Should we? Well, we can pause it. Should we? Okay, cool. Hold on. Let me let me hit the bath. Uh, we are rolling again. I can't believe you've done this whole podcast in shorts. It's cold out here, man. Chicago, man. I guess so. I guess so. I, 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 I don't. I'm not. I don't live in cold climates, so it's I cold. Have, I haven't in six years. Almost yeah. seven. Yeah. Believe me, I'm. I'm getting there. I'm kind of. Yeah. Starting to get a little chilly. Um, right. <laughs> so, I know we were talking about besides the MMA stuff before we wrap for the night because I know uh-huh. you got to get to your concert. Do you have any solo appearances? Are you going to tour on your own? I, you know, I, I would certainly take comedy dates. Uh, uh, and, you know, Hal and I performed together. You're talking about Hal Sparks at the beginning of the show. We, we've done a number of, of shows in a number of different places. I haven't gotten to work with him in a while, but uh, um, I always enjoy doing that. You know, the main thing for me is just I think um, when you – are involved in, you know, different simultaneous projects. Uh, they kind of keep you from, from doing one over the other uh, with, with, with too much frequency. I mean, Frank and I have a great relationship with what we do with the podcast. And, you know, to his credit, in fact, I just took a break for a second. He was texting me from Australia about when, uh, when to hook up with him and, and, and tape our, our episode we need to do this weekend. So, you know, I don't know. Did I, I, think him, hey? I did. Yeah, I told him what I was doing. I, I think it's one of these things where it's kind of like, you know, if you, have, if you have multiple kids, you can't just focus on one of them <laughs> too much. <laughs> you know, you got to get a spread the love around a little bit so or ignore so, them all yeah or that so i mean yes would be the the short answer to your question but you know one of the nice things about vegas is there's so much opportunity there's so many venues and things like that you know even open mics or they're like aa meetings you can find a one every night of the week somewhere oh, 
That's awesome. Be yeah. good to like see you come out and you know do some spots in L.A. Though we definitely need to do that. L.A. Well, I mean, just you, you yeah, mean. for sure. I mean, L.A. L.A. needs to happen. So uh, I I probably need to make about you know we go out there quite a bit uh, just for fun and and work sometimes and stuff like that. But I need to make more of a point of doing sets when I'm out there for sure. Yeah. But hey, let's get you out of here. I'm actually starting to get cold, and you have a concert to go now to. Now that I pointed it out, right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's one of those yeah. things like my brain's like, oh, yeah, it's cold out. What yeah. are you doing? I, I appreciate you having me, Matt. This was a lot of fun, and I could talk to you all night. You're a great conversationalist, and uh, as I said, Stop it's... Stop it, I'm blushing. No, oh, no, uh, that's just me cold. Yeah, Sorry. as I said, it's it's one of those things where, you know, uh, you supporting our Phone Booth Fighting podcast uh, introduced me to you and introduced me to your podcast, and I subscribed that and 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 we made a good friend out of it so i anything i can do uh to support and now we drink other than actually drinking which which i don't do i'm more than happy to contribute i really appreciate it. it was super fun where can my audience find you? So, uh, Phone Booth Fighting is a twice weekly podcast. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Radio, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever podcasts are available. Uh, feel free to uh, look us up, subscribe, uh, and uh, phoneboothfighting.com is the website. And then, uh, if you're interested in uh, finding me on social media, and, and can't imagine why you wouldn't be. Uh, Twitter and Instagram is at Richard Hunter. And their Snapchat is at Phone Booth Fight. That's right. That's right. You can even follow us on Snapchat if you're uh, diving that far uh, down that rabbit hole. Oh, I'm just amused because Frank screws it up all the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's got one job in the uh, formatics, and he hits it about 50% of the time. It's true. And always, if you don't know by now, for some odd reason, you can always find me at Matt underscore Slayer on Twitter, Matt Slayer on Instagram, Matt F. Slayer on Facebook, Matt Slayer on Snapchat. And Now We Drink is the podcast at www.nowwedrink.com. And then Now We Drink underscore on Instagram because someone stole the real name. It happens. Well, from a very cold Las Vegas with my iced coffee, have a good night, all. <laughs> <laughs>